0: Chapter 135 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 135 Mr. Twistle's Misadventures. The Consequences of Being Found in the Bank Without Giving a Satisfactory Account Of Your Business There. An unpleasant dilemma. The peculiar position of Mrs. Meredith and her daughter Margaret, in some measure, and to some degree, tied their hands, and caused a corresponding desire to know more than was told them. At the same time they were fearful of giving any offence to their new and wealthy lodger. They were both avaricious and designing. To make a good settlement was the grand object of their lives, and to that object they would sacrifice themselves at least sacrifice Margaret, who, by the by, would consider it no sacrifice at all but a great stroke of good luck. However, they could do nothing of themselves. They saw there was a great and glorious chance for the future. They felt they had entangled the colonel. They felt he had become a victim to their snares, and they were unwilling that they should run any risk of a failure of their plans. "'If we offend him, he may consider us avaricious and designing,' they argued. And that might prove too strong an antidote to even an old man's love, and the prize might be snatched out of our hands, and we might not only lose a rich husband but a good lodger also. These considerations induced them to act more warily and cautious than the attorney, Mr. Twistle, who was anxious at once to seize the bull by the horns and come to an explanation, and thus save himself much labor and time, for the sooner there was an explanation the better and he did not apprehend the result that they did, he believed it would only appear proper caution on the part of a mother. They had different opinions, and between the two there was an indecisive policy adopted which occasioned delay and uncertainty. There was no doubt but the colonel meant matrimony, his infirmities were of no consequence. It was not the man, but the money that was wanted, and which was sought with perseverance and constancy." They appeared negligent of money matters before the Colonel, and when he paid them, which he did regularly, he always appeared to have money about him, which, of course, increased their respect, and gave them increased confidence in him. "'It is all very well, Ma,' said Margaret, but Mr. Twistle must not offend Colonel Deverell. He is evidently a man much above him. His actions and manner are such that at once stamp him immeasurably his superior.' Now, as regards this property, there can be no doubt, but he must have enough. I think so, too, my dear, but it would be a dreadful thing if it should turn out otherwise in the end. It would really be very dreadful. I should never survive it. Nor I, mother. What is to be done? I declare I am at my wit's end. There is no fear, Ma. Do you not remember that Mr. Twistle himself has found out that he is Colonel Deveril, and that he has retired from the army of the company? "'Indeed, my dear, that is correct. I had forgotten that, quite forgotten it. But it may so happen he has no money at all. He may have spent it.' "'He does not appear to be extravagant,' said Margaret. "'He has retired upon his half-pay, which you know must be a very good living, and I am sure of a widow's pension, if nothing more. And, besides, I am sure, from what he has said, there must be money.' "'Well, I think so, too, my dear,' said Mrs. Meredith, and I think it will be better that things should go on as the Colonel desires.' To lose him would be horribly aggravating. So it will, Ma, because I am sure he will do justice. It is not like, as if we had money, too, and were as willing to have our affairs investigated as we are to investigate his. That is very true, my dear, very true. And Mr. Twistle does not seem to know that. That I will tell him when I see him. By the way, I must send to him to tell him the Colonel is going out in about an hour. If he can find out anything, without compromising us in the affair... Why, he may do so, and welcome, for you must acknowledge it will be all the more satisfactory. Yes, yes, I admit that, but I would not wilfully lose a good opportunity. I must now send off to him. Mary must go, and that too, as quickly as she can, for I shall want her back again very soon, so she must run. Then the sooner she goes the better, said Margaret. Mary was sent to Mr. Twistle, who happened to be at home at the time, and judging that Mary had been a good time on the road, that there would be no time to go to Mrs. Meredith's house, then follow the coach, so he determined to go to the bank at once, so that he would be there in time to see the colonel descend and enter the bank, into which he would follow him. He sent word back to Mrs. Meredith that he would go on and see her as soon as he could, and then he made the best of his way towards the bank, where he arrived in good time, indeed, half an hour before the colonel, who did not set out so soon as he intended. Now, thought Twistle, If he were to turn out all right, why, I shall be in good fortune, but if bad it would be laid upon my shoulders. They shall not say that I have not given them attention enough for their money, and if I don't do something, they will say I haven't earned my money, and though I can enforce payment of the bond, yet it may hurt my future prospects with regard to my future connection with the family, which I hope to make a profitable one in the long run. Filled with these thoughts, he determined to watch with due caution for the arrival of the colonel on the other side of the way. It was some long time before the coach drove up, which it did after a considerable lapse of time, and then Mr. Twistle crossed over, and placed himself in a position by the lamp-post, where he should obtain a good view of any one passing in and out of the coach. "'Tis he,' he muttered, as he saw the colonel step out of the carriage, and walk into the bank very leisurely and quietly, leaning upon his stick and walking lame. He watched him into the bank, he saw him go some distance down the passage, and then he muttered, Now I will follow him up closely. And, after a moment's pause to permit someone to pass him, he then darted down the passage into a kind of yard. But no, he could not see him, he was not there. And yet he was so lame, he could not have got out of sight so soon as all that. He's gone to the dividend office, he muttered. I shall find him there. And away he posted to that department, but he could not find him. He was he was not there. Then what could have become of him? That was a point he could not solve. Well, this is very odd, he muttered, very odd. He paused to think over the matter, but that did not aid him. He was in the dark, but thought it was no use in waiting in any one place, so wandered about from office to office until he came to the body of the place, when he waited until someone came up to him and touched him on the shoulder. He turned around. "'and at once perceived it was an officer. "'What do you want with me?' inquired Twistle. "'What is your business here?' returned the officer, by way of reply. "'I am here upon my own business. "'I am at a loss to understand what you mean by asking me such a question in a public place. "'What can you mean by it? "'I was never asked such a question before, and cannot see why you should do so now. "'Excuse me, sir, I have ample warrant for what I am doing. "'Have you?' then state it. "'Easily. I have followed you about this last half-hour, and you have been wandering about the place for some time, and looking about you in a manner that has excited a good deal of suspicion, to say the least of it, and I must have some satisfactory explanation.' "'You can have that,' replied Mr. Twistle, very much annoyed. "'You can have any explanation you require. I am very sure. I came here on my own affairs. What other explanation can you require?' Your affairs may be ours also, and the explanation you have given will be just enough to justify my taking you into custody. So if you have no more to say, I must request the favor of your company. That's my card of invitation. Do you hear, sir? Yes, I do. I am an attorney at law, and you may depend upon it. I will not be content without punishing you for this indignity. I came in here because I saw a friend call to whom I wanted to speak. Where is he? "'I don't know,' said Twistle. "'I have missed him.' "'Very likely, and your friend will miss you for a short time, for you must come with me. You have been found here without being able to give any account of yourself.' "'I tell you, I came in here to see Colonel Deveril.' "'Well, what do we know of Colonel Deveril? We don't know anything about him nor you either. You must come with me. We are obligated to be very particular when we see strangers walking about with no object whatever in view. It is very suspicious.' But I tell you, I am a respectable attorney, a professional man. I had no bad object in view. That may be as you say, but you must come with me. Seeing there no help for it, Mr. Twistle resigned himself into the officer's hands and followed him to the station-house, where he was examined by the inspector at the place where he was taken. Well, sir, said the inspector, this may be all very true, but we must have some proof of what you assert. Then we can let you go. I'll have a complaint against you. You may, but you must prove not only that what you say is true, but that there was no cause for suspicion, and that you were not loitering about the bank, as the officer asserts you were. The attorney thought it would be quite unnecessary to get into the public prints, because it would not do for him to make use of Colonel Deverell's name, and that he had already done. What was he to do? He had got into a very disagreeable scrape, out of which he must now get, in the best manner possible, and which he could not see his way clear to do. What do you want me to do? Give us some proof that you are the person whom you represent yourself to be, he replied, and then we can let you go at once. Then I will give you my card, said Twistle, producing his card-case. That is no proof, said the constable. A man might have robbed you of your card-case, and you would have someone passing himself off for yourself. What shall I do then, inquired Twistle? Send for someone who knows you, or send for your own clerk. That will do. That I can do at once, replied Twistle, and he at once wrote a note to his clerk, and gave it unsealed into the hands of the constable, and asked if there was anyone who would go with it. You can send a messenger. There are many who will do that if you pay them for it, replied the constable. And in another minute, for the sum of half a crown, a messenger agreed to take the letter to his office, and deliver it to his clerk, and wait for him. This was done, and until that time he was locked up in a cell, where he had a light, certainly, but in which he had no other comfort at all. But in about an hour and a half there was a prospect of a relief, for he saw his clerk come into the station-house, and with him the messenger, who came to the constable, and said that this was Mr. Twistle's clerk. Do you know Mr. Twistle? inquired the constable. Yes, I do. He is my employer. Then point him out, said the constable. At that moment Mr. Twistle was brought in, and he at once pointed him out to the satisfaction of the constable, who, with an admonition, consented to the enlargement of Mr. Twistle, and in answer to his threat of future investigation, said to him, You see, sir, the bank is such a place, that we are compelled to keep all persons out who have no business there. And it must not be a place where people meet who have no particular bank business to transact. Do not wait about, then, for the future, sir, else you may run the same danger." Mr. Twistle left the station-house with a feeling very much akin to anger, and he walked home with a very disagreeable feeling. He felt that he had been baffled, and had been also much ill-used and very much affronted. "'Where could he have got to?' he murmured. "'He must have turned in some of the offices. Confound him! I wish he had taken it into his head to tumble. I am sure he ain't no good. If he were, I should not have been placed in such an unpleasant position.' Suddenly he recollected that there was no necessity for his going home, unless there had been anything happened since his departure, and upon being informed that such was not the case, he determined to alter his course, and proceed to Mrs. Meredith, and relate the misfortunes that had befallen him. And if that don't satisfy her I have her interest at heart, why, nothing will. And he left his clerk, after giving him some directions, and then turned off towards Bloomsbury Square. Where he arrived just before tea time. End of chapter one hundred thirty five. Read by Richard Wallace, Liberty, Missouri, four March, two thousand ten.